You're now listening to Primetime with Charles Reese, presented by the Bros You Think Network. Enjoy. What's up, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Primetime Podcast. LSU is in the Super Regionals. They are hosting once again as they will be taking on Florida State. Today, we are joined by a special guest as Brody Miller, LSU beat reporter from NOLA.com. You can find him on Twitter at Brody A. Miller is joining us today. Brody, how are you doing? Doing great. How about you, man? Doing good. Hey, man, uh, before we really get into this LSU team, kind of just talking about what's going on right now with the draft, uh, who are a couple of names that we should be watching, you know, day two and day three going forward in terms of prospects from this team that could be getting plunked? Yeah, absolutely. I think the I think the most important name for LSU fans to to follow today is, is Christian Cairo. He's a he's a shortstop from Clearwater, Florida. He's the son of Miguel Cairo. You know, I mean the you know last you know the way these signing classes tend to work for LSU is you know it's kind of an every other year thing where one year is heavily focused on one thing and the next they need the other thing. And and last year was a huge year for power arms for LSU. You know, you kept Jaden Hill, Cole Henry, Landon Marceau. Chase Costello, you, you were able to hold on to all those guys, and that was a huge victory. This year, LSU really needs infielders really badly. I mean, they're they're pretty much going to be replacing the entire infield next year, except for except for Cade Beloso at first base. So, you know, word is that Kade Doty is planning on coming to school, the Denim Spring Stars. I mean, that's definitely another name to watch, of course, but it looks like he's coming to school. So you have him coming down. He's going to compete for shortstop. And then Christian Cairo is the other one to really follow that, you know, LSU's feeling better about now that he made it through the first day, but but they're not 100% out of the woods. If they can keep Cairo and Doty, this whole day has been a massive success considering, as as you guys know, Maurice Hampton, you know, is, is planning on coming to LSU. So all of a sudden, they're pretty much hitting on every victory they were really banking on this week. So all of a sudden, next year, if you keep Cairo and Doty, you're going to have those two basically, and, and Hal Hughes, the way LSU likes to do this, is they'll have those three you know, competing for that shortstop job and just kind of going at it. And then whoever doesn't get that, okay, one of them may be at third base, one of them may be at second base, you know, or maybe someone else slides in there. But that's to answer your question. That's a big one. Hayden Travinsky, a catcher from a, from airline high school. I mean, that's another one to watch. You know, he's somebody who might get a little bit of interest. And then the last one is Connor Phillips. He's a, he's a, he's a right-handed pitcher, power arm from the uh, Dallas area, I believe. He's in Texas. And uh, you know, he's somebody who, indications are he probably will sign if he goes high enough and he had a pretty good year. So he's the other one to follow. Now, in terms of guys that are on the roster, we see Josh Smith get drafted in the first day by the Yankees. Well, you know, we're looking at guys like Hess, uh, Watson, uh, Sal Garza, and maybe even a guy like Matthew Beck that could be drafted. Uh, do you think um, almost all those guys end up getting drafted and leaving early? <laughs> My apologies. I guess sometimes I get so locked into trying to track all these signees that I forget the actual LSU players. So that's on me. But, but yeah, I mean, I uh, I definitely think you're going to see a lot of those guys go, you know, relatively quickly today. I think, uh, you know, I think you'll see Zach Watson go pretty early today. I think you'll see, you know, Zach Hess is an interesting one. He's somebody who I think it's, you know, I think he's kind of polarizing, but it probably just takes one team to love him. And there's probably enough of those that really do love him because he does have such upside and good stuff that I think, you know, Zach Hess could go as high as the third round or he could fall to the sixth. You know, Antoine Duplantis is another one where, you no, know, maybe he goes in the sixth or nine rounds, or maybe someone takes him pretty early because, you know, with those seniors, you can, you can sign them pretty cheap because you know they're an easy sign because they don't have any leverage. So, so Antoine somebody who could actually go earlier than you'd think purely because, 
you know, he might not, he might sign below slot or slide through slot easily. Uh, Todd Peterson's one you might see in the, the five through seven rounds, you know, somewhere in that range. Uh, that's an interesting one to follow because I haven't been able to get much of a, a good read on what people think of him. And then, you know, one to always keep following closely is Saul Garza because, as, as you know, he has just been on an absolute tear lately. And he's a guy who has six foot four, 227 pounds, good athlete behind the plate with a massive bat. I mean, he has the tools. So there might be somebody who really likes him, uh, but it, but it's a small sample size. He's only really been hitting well for a month. He's had two knee injuries. Yeah, and, and indications are from from people around him, from LSU, or that you know he he wants to come back to LSU. He wants to play for one more year and really build that stock. So I, I would be surprised if he you know gets drafted high in signs and all that. But but there's always a chance. Matthew Beck, I will flat out tell you, I have not heard anything about him with any draft stock. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets picked, because like you said, I mean, he is a he's a solid pitcher. I can see somebody wanting to take a chance on, you know, and also just the the prestige of being an LSU arm. But I haven't heard his name tossed around much. He seems like one of those guys too, where it's not like he's going to be going into a starter role, where he's kind of he can't really make his stock that much better than he already has, right? I would say so. I think that's probably how I would feel about it. But yeah, you know, he's 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 a hard one to read. He kind of. It's it's kind of the, the story of these LSU relievers this year, I suppose. But you know, it's somebody who one day looks like he can't he can't throw a strike, and you know he's all over the place. And some days he looks like one of LSU's most clutch pitchers. So and he's a hard one to read, but he's somebody who has a has a pretty good breaking ball and has some good stuff, has good size. He could probably you know grow like grow into his body a bit more. I, I would be interested to see if a team took a chance on him. Well, let's talk about this current team that is going to a super regional after sweeping in the regional round. Seems like everything is clicking for this Tigers team at the right time. Uh, and we may even get a Cole Henry without a leash this weekend. Talk about how this pitching rotation is really coming into shape right now as we're heading to the super regional weekend. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, I, mean, I, I'm, I won't claim I'm, I was somebody who thought this team could go this far the whole time. I mean, certainly this team looked rough for a while and, you know, the lineup was never too convincing. The pitching staff was always hurt, but there, there was always this just kind of prevailing hope that, and, you know, you'd hear people kind of quietly say, and it was always the idea that if this pitching staff can ever get healthy, then yeah, this team believes it can certainly go on a run, but if not, then, you know, things, <laughs> the optimism is much less. Uh, so yeah, you know, they were holding out hope. Could Marceau ever get back to what he was supposed to be? Could, could Cole Henry ever return? Could Jaden Hill return? You know, all these guys that were so important to this team because, you know, you had Hess being up and down as a starter. You had Walker being up and down and still kind of working his way back from Tommy John. If those freshmen didn't come back to form, this team just flat out didn't have a chance. Obviously, Jaden Hill's not going to pitch this year, but Landon Marceau and Cole Henry are, are seemingly back to being exactly what they were supposed to be. Landon Marceau, I mean, he is flat out looking like the guy he was, he was sold as in January and February. And Cole Henry has exceeded expectations this season. And it was a really promising outing from him, you know, on, on, on Saturday, throwing those five innings, looking really good. Even when his stuff wasn't really there, he couldn't find his breaking ball. I mean, he, he was pretty much just beating them flat out on fastballs. That's kind of how good his fastball is. But, but he's hit 95-96 with really good movement. He can just beat you like that. So if he can get his curveball back, which, you know, is something I think takes a little bit of time coming back from an injury. Yeah, I mean, this, this pitching staff suddenly looks really good. And, and, you know, you have Eric Walker, who, sure, he's not the Eric Walker of 2017. You can trust to go out there and give you, you know, six or seven great innings every night. But, but what Eric Walker can do is he's just a smart, crafty pitcher who, even when he's not having a good day, usually gets you through, you know, 
five innings with, you know, not too much of a blow up, you know, like three or four runs. He always kind of keeps you in a ball game. So all of a sudden this LSU pitching staff, you trust those three guys. And then you have a bullpen that yes, it's hot and cold, but that's a pretty darn deep bullpen where you have Hess, Peterson, Fontenot, three guys who at different times you've sincerely considered your closer. And all three of those also have the ability to extend pretty deep in the games. All three of those guys have had outings where they've gone five innings this year. So, you know, having that kind of weird flexibility with that bullpen, plus Matthew Beck, as you said, plus Trent Bittmeyer looking like a pretty good pitcher right now, you know, plus Mikhail Hilliard kind of you know, being somebody you can at least trust in a tough situation. All of a sudden, this, this pitching staff looks great, and it just happens to be coming right as this lineup suddenly figured something out. And I, I think the answer to that is probably saddle guards are coming into form. Yeah, it's kind of weird. You know, you think about all the good years in the past, 10 or so years where LSU ended up getting to the super regional point. And in terms of bullpen, this may be the best shape the bullpen's ever been in. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I apologize. Can you repeat the question? Uh, looking at LSU teams over the past 10 years that have made it to the super regional point, it almost seems like this, you could say, is the best LSU bullpen we've seen in terms of depth uh, and talent. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's definitely some validity to that. I mean, at least in the terms of just guys that you would be okay with, you know, going to. I, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested to look back and see from just an actual how good those guys are doing point of view, how it would compare them really. Because, you know, some of these guys are so hot and cold. You know, Zach has as good as his stuff is. He keeps giving up homers. His numbers actually don't look good. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say Zach Kess isn't a good reliever, but it is kind of weird. And then you got Todd Peterson who had – had a terrible month, but now he looks pretty good. But then he looked rough on Saturday. And then you got, you know, Devin Fonda, who Lord knows is up and down as anybody and had just a brutal three weeks at one point. And now he's back, it seems like. But, you know, it, it's it's a tricky bullpen because of that. But at the same time, yeah, I absolutely agree with you that it's it's really deep. And that's kind of – I kind of look like a fool for some of the stuff I wrote in February. But, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a whole thing about how – I think, you know, Palmineri and LSU think this is the deepest pitching staff Palmineri's ever had here in his 13 years. I mean, it looked like they had a chance to have, you know, 11 guys in that staff. They legitimately trust the pitch, and that's that's rare. And, you know, right now I don't think it's 11, but it's – I'd say it's nine, right? And you know, and and that's that's pretty big. And, and a lot of those guys are not – you know, your starters are young, but those bullpen guys you're talking about, those are all pretty much veterans who have been in a lot of weird situations. I mean, you know, Mikhail Hillier might be the worst, the guy you probably maybe trust least of those six, five or six relievers, but he's somebody who was your best starter in 2018 that's pitched in some, some massive SEC environments, and none of this is new to him. Matthew Beck, I mean, he, you know, he, he's an up-and-down pitcher, but Palmineri's favorite thing about him is that he always just finds a way to make a big pitch when you need a big pitch. That's kind of his big thing. He doesn't have great control, but he really just knows how to get that big pitch when you need it. So it's a tested bullpen. It's a bunch of guys that aren't really going to be scared of the situation. So you combine that talent, that depth, and that experience. And, yes, it, it really does bode well for Chelsea team down the stretch. Well, Florida State's coming into the box this weekend. They sit at 39-21 and 21 with an RPI of 50, strength of schedule at 73. A lot of people were saying whenever they got put into the field of 64 that it was kind of uh, – it was – they were doing it for Mike Martin's last year. Sets up for an interesting uh, matchup this weekend. What can we expect from this Florida State team who, like LSU, seems like they are hitting a stride at the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, the tricky thing with these Florida State teams is that 
you always, I mean, it obviously was a team that did not have a great year or anything like that, but you know the talent's always going to be there. Florida State's always going to recruit well. They're always going to have a lot of talent. So, you know, it's not like it's, you know, it's, you could, in some weird ways, not, it's not a good comparison, but in some small ways, you can probably compare it to, you know, an LSU this year where it's maybe not a convincing team all season, but you know, there's the talent there if they ever got it together. So, I mean, one thing to watch this team is it's, they got a lot of, you know, they got four different guys hitting over 50 RBIs right now. You know, they got two guys with 13, 16 home runs. They got some bats. They got some, you know, a lot of guys hitting right in that three to 340 range. I mean, that's definitely something to follow with this team. Uh, I don't know too much about their pitching staff, quite frankly. Um, I mean, it looks like they got, you know, at least one or two guys they definitely trust. But I, 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 will, I will be honest with you, I don't know too much about this Florida State, State team right now. I haven't dove in yet. But just in terms of a feeling for this weekend, uh, you were there at the box this weekend. What can we expect in terms of atmosphere from LSU fans? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, myself and an advocate reporter, Wilson Alexander, you know, we sit next to each other every game. And, and you know, we kept kind of saying how it's been a weird year at the box because there's just like never been a weekend where it worked out crowd wise. You know, it, it was, I mean, obviously opening weekend was great. And there've been a few really good games crowd wise. I think the Florida weekend comes to mind. There was one really great old Miss crowd, but it's been weird because it's always like, you know, this is a huge game, but then there's weather and it gets moved back to Saturday. So that kind of killed that Friday game or, or, hey, there's a spring game going on. There's a doubleheader. There's all this other stuff. So, you know, it didn't get great on this weekend. It's just like every time it was supposed to be this amazing Alex Fox weekend, it, it didn't really land that way. So we're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're just waiting for that really huge Alex Fox game. And then this weekend, man, you you saw it. I mean, that place was absurd. The Stony Brook game. I mean, by the first in or second inning, you flat out saw that that crowd just destroy that pitch, and he just fell apart, and you, you could see it. And you know, I think you saw it every game the way this crowd is erupted. And I, I always used to kind of roll my eyes a little bit when I came down to this beat about people talking about you know the box and how much of a difference it makes. But yeah, I mean, I'll admit it. I fall into traps sometimes because it, it. I think it really does make a difference, and not even just in a oh, this is you know, getting in the opponent's head, things like that. I think it it gets, it just elevates these LSU players. I think you see it a lot at the plate quite a bit. You see it on the base pass, little things like that. And, and Paul Maneri had a really interesting quote, I thought, last night where he was – or, uh, sorry, Sunday night, when he was talking about, you know, this, the crowd. And he, well, he said one of the more interesting things is it's challenging to get these guys, these young guys, to learn how to use the crowd because a lot of them, you know, at first it actually – you know, it's too much for them. They're trying too hard. They're trying all this stuff to, to answer to the crowd and then actually get it hurts for them. And he thinks the team usually picks it up toward the end of the year when they learn how to use that Alex Fox crowd to their advantage and really become part of it. And I thought that was interesting. It's something I'm probably want to ask them more about. So I really do find that fascinating. Hey, for pitching matchup, do you think uh, Cole Henry's going to get the ball Saturday or do you think he ends up going with Marceau in like game one? It's a great question. I think he goes with Cole Henry on Saturday. I think, you know, just everything he's done these past two months has been, I'm tying, you know, I'm, I'm tying my horse to, to Cole Henry. He's our guy. I'm going to trust him in any tough situation. And there's no better example of that than when the guy had only pitched two innings in the past month or five weeks, and he still gave him the start against Southern Miss in that marble game last week. <laughs> there's no better statement anybody can make about what he thinks of Cole Henry than that, because that, that was a big leap of faith, and it obviously worked out with five shutout innings. So if he made it through that, I feel pretty confident. Cole Henry's the guy he'll go to in those situations. And then I would think he goes Landon Marceau next. And then, yeah, Eric Walker, if you need a game three. You know, he's always liked Eric Walker as that, that Sunday starter anyway for, you know, on a weekend series because he's the experienced guy who can handle, you know, being in that deciding game. 
So that would be my guess for the weekend rotation. In terms of lineup, do you think that we're pretty much set from here on out, barring any injuries or anything, uh, unforeseen circumstances? Yeah, which is, you know, Palmineri is always a tinker. You know, he's always somebody who likes to tinker, and that's, that's, mm-hmm. no, that's not new. But, but it feels like this year is even more than ever. I mean, they, I don't – until this past weekend, I don't think we had ever seen, you know, any form of the same lineup for more than, like, three games in a row since March. I mean, it's, it's every game a new lineup, it feels like. And, and to be honest, I wonder sometimes how much that, you know – how much that messes with the comfort of some of these players. They never really get acquainted in any one spot because anytime they're there for two days and start getting some comfort, they get moved around a bit. And it seems like for the first time all year, he's found that lineup he likes right now. It's clearly working. I would say this is probably, the, in my opinion, the best offensive weekend of the, of the season for LSU when you just combine the stage and the actual pitching your face thing and whatnot. So I think that that's, that's probably the case. The one thing I guess to keep following is where Saul Garza hit because he likes having Sal Garza in that, in that seventh spot where he's, you know, keeping the, the lineup balanced all the way through. But it's just also hard when you have a guy hitting so well to, you know, give him less at-bats by dropping him down that low and whatnot. So I think that would be the only thing to really follow. And then also, you know, you saw it on Sunday that, you know, when they're facing a lefty, they drop K. Beloso down to seven. So I guess that's the other thing to follow. I think Beloso's hitting in the, you know, 208 range or something like that against left-handed pitchers. So those are the only things to follow. But in general, yeah, I think – I think Palmineri settled on his lineup. Hey, you know it better than any of us. Uh, LSU, especially with baseball, fans can be pretty temperamental. And we've seen a lot of people calling for Palmineri's head. Palmineri is a good coach, right? Can we clear the airways there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no matter how bad this season got, Palmineri is a good coach. Even if he <laughs> never coached a good season again in his career. I mean, it's just like the guy's been doing this for like 40 years and it's pretty clearly established. He is one of the best baseball coaches in the country. And, I think it's been a weird year for Palmineri. I mean, he might've had some weird moments. I don't know if this was, uh, I don't know if this was like his best coaching job. Cause I mean, he had a really tough year off the field. And I think he will flat out tell you that there were stretches where you know, he, you know, there was a week in the season where he'll flat out tell you wasn't completely present and nor should he have been. His father died. And, and this has been an, a pretty awful off the field season for him. But the fact that this team, despite all of this is still going on this run right now, and figuring things out. And the, I think the, the best example of his coaching job is that they're turning it on right now. Cause that actually in some weird way is expected. Once you got those pitcher selfie, the best example of how good of a coach he was was the fact that when they were dealing with all these injuries, when they had one healthy backup position player on the roster for a weekend, and when they had like six available pitchers for a weekend, they were still winning series. They never got swept through that, that stretch in, you know, April and in March and May, they never, never got swept once. They won the majority of their SEC series, even though this roster flat out wasn't, I mean, quite frankly, wasn't very good for a while because of all these injuries. And they kept kind of just hanging in there, hanging in there. They're always like two back in the SEC West. So then the second they got healthy, this team took off. And I think that's really where you saw how good of a coach he was. Brody, what can we expect from you uh, going forward this week as we get ready for the Super Regional? Yeah, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good question. I'm figuring some of that out as well. But, yeah, I think uh, I, I definitely plan on having a story on Mike Martin and his final season and, and you know, him and Paul Maneri's relationship and just kind of you know, what this last battle between them will be like. And then, I, I mean, we'll probably have some follow-up coverage on just basically what the MLB draft and what this means for LSU going forward. And, uh and maybe one or two other profiles in there. We'll see, my man. Uh, Brody, thanks for giving us some of your time today. Y'all go follow Brody on Twitter, at Brody A. Miller. Someone please hire Brody as well. Brody, enjoy your afternoon watching the draft, and uh, 
staying away from that hazardous air over my bed. <laughs> I'm staying inside, man. Yeah, really, really tough for me to stay in my apartment. Have a good one, man. Thank you.